All right, so here, here's what I want to do in this in the breakout to kind of walk through with you uh, what I want to accomplish. Um, I want to spend a, a little bit of time talking about, you know, maybe ways to get into conversations about the gospel. Um, and then I want to spend some time talking about uh, really the way that we view sharing the gospel, like the way that we understand how to approach it. And then most of our time I'm going to spend really kind of going quickly through the gospel, through the message of the gospel, because I, I think it's more important for you and I to know the message and to be able to, from Scripture, explain the gospel um, and to be, able to, to be able to break down terms for people. Uh, I think that's more important than having like a method of, the of sharing the gospel, more important than having like an outline or a couple of quick points to make. Because I think if you and I are, um, if you and I are prepared with the whole gospel, if we know how to walk through the entire gospel and, and to explain it from scripture, that we've got scripture memorized, that we know how to explain it, not just, not just explain it like to another believer, which is basically when I go through the gospel here in a minute, I'm going to go through it pretty quickly. Um, and I can assume a lot because most of us uh, have been in church for a while. Most of us are familiar with biblical terms. And so we kind of have like working biblical definitions of words like sin and uh, justification and Jesus and God. Um, most of us have a biblical idea for those words. But what we can't do, what you and I can't do, is assume that somebody we're talking to has biblical definitions in their minds when we say those words to them, okay? So we need to be able to explain what we believe from Scripture and then be able to explain it to somebody who has no idea what we're talking about, right? That, that maybe, it's, maybe it's not even that they don't know who Jesus is. Maybe it's that they have a really wrong view of Jesus, Maybe they have a really bad understanding of sin. And, and so we need to be able to explain not just what the Bible says, but then what it means by what it says. Okay? Um, so my ultimate goal, really, for this morning is that, um, that we would have a clearer view of our responsibility to share the gospel. And, and really, our cl a clearer view of my responsibility to prepare myself to be able to share the gospel. And so what I'm hoping is that you go from here with a, a passion and a direction to, for, to prepare yourself to be able to study, to be able to meditate on Scripture, to, to ask yourself the tough questions, and then study the Scripture to find the answer. To think through how you would share the Gospel, and then study and memorize passages of Scripture so that when you're doing life, when you're at school, when you're on an airplane, when you're in the store, when you're hanging out with buddies when you're at, you know, a family reunion, if you've memorized scripture and the scripture is in your heart and in your mind, then you'll be prepared to share that with somebody. Because I don't know if you knew this, but in, in Romans chapter 10 in the Bible, it says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it's really important that we use scripture when we're witnessing to people. Okay. So, um, so in thinking about starting off a conversation with somebody, a lot of, for a lot of us, that's where there's a lot of fear for sharing the gospel is how do you start? 
how do I do this without offending them, without coming across weird or making it awkward? For some of you, uh, you don't really have, need to worry about that because every conversation you have is awkward. Um, so just roll with it. Just embrace that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, a lot of times we think, okay, we, we kind of psych ourselves out about, man, this is going to be weird. It's going to be awkward. I'm going to offend them. And there's a, there's a place where we need to be wise. Like we, Jesus told his disciples, and be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. Like we should be strategic. We should think through how we're going to do this. Um, and we should set out not to offend. That's good. But there's a point to which we need to be okay. We need to be okay. We need to be okay with the gospel offending people. Jesus promised us that would happen. You and I, in how we share it, and in our own personality, and how we talk to people, we don't need to be offensive in and of ourselves, right? We don't need to be arrogant. We don't need to cause a debate. We don't need to act like we're something special, and we're, we're righteous, and they should be more like us. That's offensive, and we don't need to do that. Because the gospel message itself, it will offend. It'll offend. Right. And we don't need to apologize for that because God promised it. And, and what they're being what, what people are offended at is their their own sin, their own sin. And we need to be OK with that. So when I start a conversation with somebody, um, whether and obviously we can't touch on every different circumstance that you may face in interact interaction with people. So I'm going to have to be fairly general. But if I'm talking to somebody, uh, Man, I just want to start asking questions. If I just meet somebody, uh, or even if it's somebody I've known for a while, or, but I haven't, maybe I haven't seen them, um, even family, like, man, just asking them questions about their life. Asking questions is so, is so good. Um, one, because it shows that you're truly interested in who they are, right? That you care about them and listen to the answers and build off of the answers to ask other questions. Um, that's just good for life anyway. But but so important to see, okay, what do they really believe? And so in doing that, I'm going to cut to the chase pretty quick. I, I, I am not a believer at all in um, the, the, the idea that you need to have a long-term relationship with somebody before you share the gospel. I don't believe that's biblical. Um, I, I, and I don't think it's a real relationship you're building with somebody if they don't know what what's most important in your life. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, and that's your hope that you'll spend eternity in heaven with Jesus, and that this person that you're friends with, their only hope of escaping the wrath of God is to believe in Jesus. If you don't share that, like if they don't know that about you, what kind of relationship is that? What kind of friendship is that? They don't know who you really are. So I, I don't I don't believe I don't I don't buy that at all. And so early on, I'm gonna let them know who I am. I'm going to let them know what I believe. And so I'll do that by asking questions. And, and I, I believe that we, again, we need to be wise. And we need to be discerning. Um, but I think we need to be direct. And so I'll ask people. Um, and for me, I, I kind of get to cheat. Because I'll, I'll ask them, like, what, what do they do? You know, what, what, what's their interest or hobbies? And if it's another adult, like, what kind of work do you do? And they're eventually going to ask me what I do. And then I'm like, gotcha. Because I tell people about Jesus for a living. Which I still can't believe I get paid for it. It's just awesome. Like, they pay me to do this. Is that crazy? It is crazy. I would do it for free. Don't tell my boss, but like, every every month I'm like, they gave me money again. 
this is awesome. It's always surprising. But anyway, so I'll just tell, I'll, yeah, okay, yeah. I, well, I work at a, at a student camp, and we, we tell people about Jesus. And then I'll just, and then I'll, I'll ask another question. I'll say, man, do you have any religious beliefs? What do you, what do you believe about God? And it always, and listen to me, anytime I do that, anytime I ask those questions, and these are the questions I would encourage you to ask. Ask somebody what they believe. What do you believe in? What do you believe about God? Do you have a religious background? Anytime I do that, anytime I start this conversation, at some point outside of the camp setting, I always am fearful. Always. I always feel insecure and I feel feel fearful that they're going to think that I'm, you know, stupid or narrow minded or offensive. I always feel that way. But, But listen to me. There has never been a time. There has never been a time when I've pushed through that, when I fought through that and shared the gospel. There's never been a time that I regretted doing it. Never. I've always been thankful that the Lord gave me strength to, to be faithful to him. There's been plenty of times where I've given into that fear and not started the conversation. And I've been very convicted and I always regret it. And so we need to go. We need to know like ahead of time, like, yeah, I'm going to feel this way. But I'm not going to listen to those lies. I'm not going to listen to those lies. Know it ahead of time. Plan ahead, right? Okay, I may feel insecure. I may feel fearful. But that's not going to hold me back from speaking the truth. Because ultimately, I'm representing God. I'm representing Jesus. And this is this person's only hope. And so I'll ask those questions. What do you believe about God? What, what, What do you believe in? And then to build on that, like, depending on what they say, you know, Okay, well, what, how do you deal with sin in your belief system? How do you, what do you do with sin? What do you do with evil in the world? You know, and if they deny sin or evil, if they start talking about mistakes or just the way things are, like, you know, it's pretty easy to point to multiple things that human beings do to one another that's just evil. You know, and you can't deny that. And so I'll ask them, like, what do you do, what do, you do with the reality of sin and evil in the world? And then I'll ask them, what... So what, what's your hope for after this life? Ask him those questions and really listen. Like, so what do you believe happens when we die? What, what, what's your hope that, that you're holding on to, you know, and ask him. And then, you know, and you're not necessarily earning the right because we have the right to tell them the truth just because we represent God. Like we don't have to earn anything, but, but what we're doing is opening up conversation. And so now what I want to do is, is share what I believe. You know, and I'm not going to ask him permission to do that, but I'm just going to start saying, okay, well, yeah, here, this is what I believe. And, and this is, and, I, and I'm going to stand on the Bible. I'm going to unashamedly say, well, the Bible says, and they can say whatever they want about the Bible. And, and it may turn into a conversation of why the Bible is reliable. Um, a lot of times, even when somebody brings that kind of thing up, they don't really know what they think they know. They may have seen something on the history channel and it's pretty easily dealt with. But most of the time, people don't have real hang-ups with the reliability of the Bible. Mostly their hang-up is, let's just not talk about my personal sin, right? But that's what the gospel ultimately is going to put pressure on. And so, I'm going to ask those questions. I'm going to start sharing what I believe, okay? And what I want to do is be able to walk through the entire gospel. Now, are you always going to have an hour to talk to somebody? No. Man, it, it's going to look so different. And, you know, sometimes you may be talking to somebody who grew up in church, but now 
hates church, whether it's because they'll say something like, well, everybody's hypocrites. Awesome. And so are you. So come join us. Right. Like, yeah. Oh, they're sinners. Yes. Right. That's 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 kind of the deal. Um, yeah. Like they, they've got some reason why they don't want to go to church anymore. And so you may be telling, talking to somebody that has a background in, in Christianity. You may be talking to somebody who's Islamic. You may be talking to somebody who's an atheist. You may be talk. You may talk to somebody who's steeped in a in a lifestyle of homosexuality, and their view of Christianity is just narrow-minded, backwards people that hate them. And so you've got a lot to nece- to maybe unpack. But what will prepare us, as long as language, as long as language is not an issue, what will prepare you to share the gospel with anybody in any environment with any amount of time that you have? is you being prepared with the whole gospel. That's the hard work we need to do ahead of time. To know the gospel, to have meditated on it, to have asked yourself the tough questions, to thought through, how do I explain this to somebody who doesn't have the background in church that I have? And to be able to quote scripture to them. So that's the hard work that we do, and that frees us. That frees us to have the conversation in any direction it'll go. And so... You may only have a couple minutes with somebody. This past April, I got to share the gospel uh, with two people outside of the camp setting um, within a couple days of each other. And one conversation, I probably talked for, I don't know, maybe two minutes. And the other conversation, I talked for, to somebody for about three and a half hours. Totally different. One, one woman was, uh, we were in the airport. I was, Zach and I were traveling to Orlando and this lady was having a hard time negotiating the escalator and uh, she finally was like giving up and she just like chunked her bag. Like she was going to throw her bag on the escalator and then try to like fall on it behind it. And that thing hit and was bouncing back and like smacking her in the head. And so we went over there and uh, Zach grabbed the bag and we helped her on the escalator and asked her where she was from. She's from Nigeria. She was coming over to visit her daughter who had just had her first grandbaby. And so she was there to to meet her grandbaby and um, she spoke English well. And, and so asked her a little bit about herself, where she's from. And I said, well, and she didn't ask us, so I, but I, I assumed that she, was, she wanted to know anyway. And so I said, well, this, me and my friend here, we're traveling to, to Orlando. We're, we're going to a conference about the gospel. I said, we, we both believe in Jesus. I said, do you know who Jesus is? And she said, oh, I've heard of Jesus. And, and I just, in, in two minutes, I walked through as much truth as I could. I didn't get to explain anything. I didn't get to break down terms. But I, I walked through, I got to the resurrection and she said, okay, this is my gate. And she peeled off and she was gone, you know, and that's all the time I had. And, and we walked away just thankful that we got to share truth with her and trust that, well, it's not, it's not my job. Listen, it's not my job to get anybody saved, right? I can't save that woman. I can't take her from darkness to light. I can't quicken her soul, but I can share the truth and the Holy Spirit can take somebody from death to life, right? And then the longer conversation was a friend that, uh, I think I mentioned this the other morning with the, my Mormon buddy. Um, yeah, yesterday morning, I told you about that. Man, we talked for like three hours, three and a half hours. And we walked through the gospel and explaining it and breaking it down and quoting scripture and discussing what passages from the Bible really mean. And what freed me in those conversations was, man, I had prepared, I had prepared. And I'm not done doing that. Like that is an ongoing process in my life. But I'm prepared to share the truth. And so for, for you right now, maybe all you're prepared to do is to say a couple of truths about the Bible. You need to do that. Maybe for you, all you can do right now is share your testimony with somebody. Man, do that. That's powerful. God will use that. 
You don't have to go to seminary to share the gospel with somebody. Yeah, share your testimony. Share the truth you know and trust God with it. But you and I still, we're called, man. We're going to give an account for what we've done with, with this gospel. And so we need to, to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. Y'all with me? Does that make sense? So what I want to do with the uh, time we have left is walk through the message of the gospel. And I'm going to, I'm going to, obviously I'm up here with a microphone and I'm monologuing, right? I'm not asking for feedback. Um, so if I'm in a real conversation, I'm, it's never going to flow the way that this is about to flow, but all these pieces are in place so that at any point in conversation, I know scripture and I know what I believe and I know how to explain it. So wherever we are in the conversation, I can keep taking it back to what the the Bible says about the gospel. Okay. So ideally I'm going to start with somebody when I start talking about what I believe about God. I'm going to start where the Bible starts. Creation, right? Because here's my ultimate goal. My ultimate goal is I want to see people embrace Jesus as Savior, right? That's awesome. Have you guys ever gotten to witness that? Man, it's beautiful. You don't get tired of that. Jesus rescuing somebody. So I want to see somebody embrace Jesus as Savior. But first, before they do that, they need to see their need for salvation, And in order to see their need for salvation, they need to see themselves as sinners, right? That's not popular. And before they really see, yeah, I really am evil. (laughs) I really do have an issue. Before they're ever willing to embrace that truth, they need to see God for who God is. And that's what you and I have the privilege and honor to do, is to say from the Bible, this is who God says he is. God has revealed himself through the Bible. And so we're going to stand on the Bible and say, this is who God is. This is what's true. So I start at creation. God made you. Then I'll go to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And talk about how God made us in his image and likeness. Male and female, we are made in the image and the likeness of God. That we were made by Jesus and for Jesus. Colossians chapter 1. We are made by him and for him. What does that mean? It means, well, he made us like him, that we're people, right? That we have personhood, that we have a mind and a will and emotions. And he made us for his glory, to know him, to love him, to worship him, to live our lives for him. And that's the best thing for us. The best thing for humans is to be who we were created to be, worshipers of the one true God. So I'm going to go to creation and say, and the, the issue here is that, yeah, we're made by him and for him. And so we're accountable to him. We belong to him. We will answer to him for how we live. That God is our creator. He made us. And then I want to go to the, the fact that God is holy. God is holy, right? We all know that. Like you said that before. God is holy. Maybe the person you're talking to, maybe the only time they've ever heard the word holy is right before somebody cusses, right? Think about it. I mean... How often do you use the word holy in just normal conversation? Not much. People use it a lot when they curse or, or talk about beef, right? And so, time out. Don't just say to somebody, God is holy. Say, yeah, the Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. And this is what that means. And so to talk about, even, even a lot of times with Christians, we, we are only prepared 
to share the gospel with people who believe what we believe. Because a lot of times, even if I went around the room, I bet it would take a while to get a really good answer for what holiness means. A lot of times, the first thing people say is, perfect. It means he's perfect. In part, yeah, it's part of that meaning. But when we talk about God being holy, or rather when he declares himself to be holy, what he's saying is, he alone is creator. Everything else is creation. He is set apart as the only God. And he is set apart to, he is dedicated to his glory. He is dedicated to being worshipped as God. So he's set apart from creation. He's set apart to his glory and his honor and his worship. And he is, so because of that, he is then set apart from what? Sin, right? Set apart. It means he, he can't have anything to do with it. And it can't have anything to do with him. And in 1 John chapter 5, we get this really clear analogy of what God's holiness is like. And so I, I always use this. I always use this illustration that the Bible gives us. It says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. It's a great illustration. We all get that, right? And, you know, and I don't mean to, I'm not being funny and silly. Like, unless a person physically can't see, they understand this, Right? We know what it's like. You know what it's like to go into a, a really dark room and shine a light. One of, one of my favorite wrecks to lead at camp um, is uh, caving trips. We do caving trips sometimes in the fall and spring. And, man, I, I love it. I love playing in the caves. Um, I, I just I always feel like I'm a kid in the TBS version of the Goonies. And, and just, I love it. Um, some Your parents can tell you about the Goonies. Um, but man, we, we'll get down, you know, we're, we're hundreds of yards in this cave and we're so far away from the entrance. It's, yeah, it's just raining. And there's all these twists and turns and there's no light. And so we'll all turn off our headlamps. It's just pitch black, like can't see your hand in front of your face. And then somebody will, you know, shine their light, turn their light back on. And it just pierces the darkness, right? Where, where does the darkness go? Where does it go? Just gone, right? Why? It can't exist in the same space at the same time. It's not like darkness rolls up and hides somewhere. Like it just can't exist in the same space at the same time. So we know what it's like when light exposes darkness and makes the darkness go away. Well, let's, let's flip it. Let's flip it. Let's say it's a, a different week of the year and it's clear sky, sun shining, it's noon, right? You go outside is there anything that you can buy that you could put on your head, like a headlamp, click it on, that would like project a dark beam through the sky to make the light go away? It would be awesome. You could really mess with people. But no, it doesn't exist, right? This is different than talking about shades and shadows. Like it does, there's no dark beam. It doesn't exist. Why? Because it can't, it can't overpower that light. They can't exist in the same space at the same time. Um, can you all still hear me pretty good in the back? I may do this. Is that good? Okay. So, when I'm talking to somebody about God's holiness, I'm going to say, yeah, God is light. In him is no darkness at all. Just like light and darkness cannot exist in the same space at the same time, God can't have anything to do with sin. He is holy and he is set apart to his glory, his perfection, his worship, that he alone is due from 
the creatures he made in his image, us. And then I'm going to talk about that God is just. God is just. When we say God is just or we say God is righteous, here's what we mean. Here's what the Bible means. It means that when we say God is righteous, we're saying that everything God says, everything God does, everything he thinks is right and morally good. Okay? It's right. It's correct. It's good that he thinks that. It's good that he says it. It's morally correct. Okay? Because because God himself, by his nature, is the standard of what right is. There's no standard outside of God that God's reading over and saying, okay, yeah, I got to remember to do that. Right? He just is. He's the great I am. Right? By his eternal, infinite nature, he is the standard of what right and wrong is. And he always does what's right. It's impossible for God to lie. There's no variation or shadow or turning within the nature and character of God. He doesn't change. He's perfect. He is perfect. He's righteous. So then when we say God is just, what we're saying is that God is going to hold us as judge accountable to that standard. God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. God has appointed a day, and we talked about that yesterday morning. God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. He's going to judge us as creatures made in his image and likeness, made to worship him. He'll judge us according to his standard of right and wrong that flows from his nature. Does that make sense? Now, we know this. We believe this. We just need to think through it on how we explain it to somebody. Think through, like, ask yourself when you meditate on this. Ask yourself, like, because people are going to say things like, well, I don't believe God is like that. I don't believe God's like that. I don't believe God's going to hold people accountable to the mistakes they made. Didn't he make us anyway? Didn't he make us like this? I was born this way. Why would he make me like this and then hold me accountable for being me? So ask yourself those tough questions. Think through how you should answer that biblically. Expose that false way of thinking. God is holy and God is just and we are sinful. We are sinful. So I'm talking to somebody, man, we're having a conversation. I'm I'm pointing these things out from the Bible. I'm quoting scripture. I'm asking them, does that make sense? Do you know what I'm talking about? Does that at least, you know, I'm not asking if you agree with it, but do you understand what I'm saying? You know, and giving opportunity for them to say, well, you know, what about this? How can there only be one God? How, you know, how can there be a being that had no, you know, yeah, have the conversation, but keep bringing it back to this. Debates don't win anybody to Christ, right? Arguing doesn't win anybody to Christ. The word of God, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's not, it's not that you have to be the best gospel presentator. (laughs) Is that a word? No, I don't know. See what I mean? You don't have to be the best at speaking English. You just need to be faithful to the Bible. Trust that it's the Holy Spirit that can use you. Man, what a privilege. God could do this all on his own. God has chosen to use us as his representatives. We get to be part of this. That's awesome. So at this point, man, yeah, somebody may really begin to get offended. Because now it's going to get personal. Now it's going to get personal. Now we're not just talking about the potential of some God out there. We're talking about who we are as humans. So I'm going to talk about, man, we, yeah, the first human beings that God made, we rebelled against them. 
He gave us a world of yes and one tree of no. And we rebelled against him because we decided that we wanted to be our own gods. That was a temptation. God, God doesn't want you to eat this because he knows that when you eat it, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. Satan's temptation to man was not a new tasty kind of fruit. It was, you'll get to be God. You'll determine what's right and wrong. God's not good. He's not looking out for your best. That was the lie that we've been into. We've been into the lie that we could be our own gods. And what we got instead was sin and death. And so we're born into that. We're born into that. Man, and I'll use myself as an example, primarily. I'll talk about, yeah, the reality is we're sinful, we're fallen, we're condemned, we're enslaved to sin. We can't save ourselves. And I'll say, man, I, I know that I don't do what's right. I know I don't. Not even, not even to the Bible standard of right and wrong. I don't live up to my own standard of right and wrong. Before I was a Christian. I didn't want to explode at my mom when she simply asked me to take out the trash. What in the world? What was that about? Dishonoring my parents. I love my mom. Why would I treat her that way? I knew it was wrong. I, why, why would I do that? I know, I know it's not right to lie to people I love. Why, why would I lie to somebody just to make myself look better? Why would I lie to somebody to try to get what I want? I know that's wrong. And I'll use myself as an example. Trusting that people are uh, really prideful and selfish. And when I'm talking about me, they're thinking about themselves. Um, which is probably what most of y'all were doing. A bunch of sinners. Just kidding. Um, right? And, and sometimes we need to be direct. And sometimes we need to be direct about specific sins. Not always. But Jesus did this. The lady at the well. Man, go read that story. Jesus is so tender and gracious and loving as he's rescuing this woman whose life is wrecked. And he's not afraid to pinpoint the sin that she's bound to. Sometimes we need to do that. People are enslaved to sin and it doesn't help to say things like, well, all sin is the same. And well, that's no different than what I'm struggling with. It's just, man, that's not helpful. Don't try to, don't try to, we don't need to beat people down. They can't save themselves. They can't pull themselves out of it. So don't come across as if they should. But also don't come across as if their sin is no big deal. We need to simply speak truth. Trust the Holy Spirit. Say it clearly. Say it boldly. But say it humbly in love. Does that make sense? So yeah, we need to talk about sin. Man, and, and the reality is that we're not good. A lot of times, I mean, a lot of, in, in almost any conversation, I'll say, well, Back to that one question, right? I'm listening to their answer. Well, what do you believe about after this life? What do you believe? What do you do with evil? I can go back to what they say and say, well, no, this is what you said when you're telling me about this. But this is what the Bible says is that, yeah, our sin is a big deal. We're going to face God because of it. And we're all guilty. None of us are righteous. No, not one. And it's not a matter of comparing ourselves against other really evil people. That's not what we get to do. On the day of judgment, we're compared to God's perfect standard. And we all fall short. None of us on our own can save ourselves. So I'm going to walk through this with somebody. So that, because, man, this is, this. who likes to talk about hell? Who likes to think about hell? And no one. No one. I don't like to. I don't like to think about the reality of it. Man, it's heavy. It's so necessary. Jesus warns us. Last night, remember, we talked about this last night. It is God's grace that he would warn us. And the Bible warns us against hell. And so we need to warn people about hell. 
the reality of it. So that, so that we tell them the bad news, why? So we can tell them the good news, right? They need to see God for who he is so they can see themselves for who they really are. So we can then present them with the savior. Yeah, you can't, you're not good. You're not righteous. You fall short. The reality is everything's not going to be okay. The reality is we're underneath the wrath of God and would spend forever suffering his wrath in hell. His righteous anger, his, uh, his punishing of sin forever. But that's not the end of the story. We say all that in love so that we can tell them what the love of God is really like. Again, you know, you may only have a minute with somebody. You may only have a minute. And all you get to say is, hey, man, God, God bless you. And then I want you to know that Jesus loves you. Jesus died on the cross for your sin because God loves you. That may be all you get to say. Man, say it. Trust God with that. Okay. But a lot of times it's not that we don't have more time. It's like that's all we want to say. And all we say is, hey, man, God loves you. The danger is that they go, yeah, I love me too, right? The danger is that they have their own definition of God. They have their own definition of love, right? God gets to define as love because the world, the, the culture that we live in, the way that we define love is like, that if we talked about God loving people, it's just this idea that everyone's going to be okay. Everyone's okay. Total acceptance, total tolerance, right? That's not the love of God. That's not real love. That's just human sentiment. God gets to define his love. God gets to reveal his love. The Bible says this in Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we are yet sinners... Christ died for us. That's how God shows off his love. That's how God reveals his love is in the context of Christ dying for us. His holiness is in view. His justice is in view. Our sin is in view. That's the context that we can understand how much and how deep and how wide and how vast the love of God is towards us. If you skip the holiness, the justice, the accountability, the sin, the wrath, if you skip all that, you've watered down the love of God. Now we say the hard things so that they have a biblical picture of God's love. That they'd understand that I deserve hell. I deserve God's wrath. But for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Man, he puts it in context. To be able to speak the truth in love, clearly and boldly, but humbly. We get to tell them who Jesus is. We get to tell people who Jesus is. Have you guys ever felt embarrassed about sharing your faith? I have. I have. And it makes me want to punch myself in the throat. I don't, because that would hurt. But how, I mean, seriously, think about this. How, how dare I? How dare I for a moment be embarrassed of Jesus? Jesus warned about that. He said, if you're ashamed of me in this wicked and perverse generation, I'll be ashamed of you in front of my father. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. I don't want any part of that. But think about this. We, we're the evil ones. 
The people that you're going to talk to, they're going to have arguments against Christianity, against God. They're evil. Listen to me. Listen to me. Do not apologize for God. How dare we apologize for God? God would be just. Listen to me. God would be just and worthy of praise if he sent us all to hell. That would be just. He'd be worthy of worship. He'd still be worthy to be glorified. We're the perverted ones. We're the twisted ones. We're the rebels. We're the enemies. We're the ones who are hostile against him. Got to keep that in mind. How can we be ashamed of a God who in our, when we were rebels, when we hated God, when our very lives were an offense to him, but he loves us enough. I mean, he would come and die for us. He would take the hell that we deserve. He would claim us as his sons and daughters. We've got nothing to offer. There's nothing lovable about us. Ephesians chapter two says, man, we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. We're dead bloated dead corpses on the bottom of the sea of our sin. We were offering nothing, nothing lovable. You are not a little unique snowflake. You were a sinner against a holy God who deserved hell. Whatever the poster of a little kitten in the snowflake told you when you were growing up, it's not true. Man, we're, we're his enemies and he would love us and come rescue us. How could we ever be ashamed of that? How could we ever be ashamed of him? How could we ever be embarrassed to proclaim who Jesus is? It is a privilege, it is an honor, and it's a responsibility. But we get to. We get to tell people who Jesus is. So do it. You've said all the hard stuff so that you can tell them who Jesus is. That Jesus is God. That Jesus is God. That he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Hebrews 1.3 and that, that, that he is the word made flesh. That, he, that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. John 1. Man, memorize it. Look at me. Look at me. Memorize it. This is the most true thing, right? This is what you're counting on to get you to heaven. It is this world's only hope. Take the time. Make this priority. Memorize scripture. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Ask yourself tough questions. Be prepared to share the whole gospel any way the conversation goes. You can take it back to the gospel. You can take it back to creation. You can take it back to holiness. You can take it back to who Jesus is. He's God. Not born into the sin that you and I are born into. How do we know that? Because of Christmas, right? The virgin birth. Don't skip that. Is the virgin birth hard to believe? Is the resurrection hard to believe? Yeah, it's impossible. It's impossible to believe aside from being born from above. So we speak the truth because that's their only hope. Talk about the virgin birth. Because in the virgin birth, we see Jesus is fully God and fully man. But he's not born into the sin that we're born into. Do you remember what the angel said to Mary? When she says, how can this be? I've never known a man. She's probably like 15 or 16 years old. Never met a man before in her life. You got it. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's a good joke every week. Is that what she means? No. What's she saying? She's saying, I've never had sex. Feels awkward to talk about it outside of Wednesday. Right? Saying, I've never had sex. It's a good question. How can this be? How can I have the Messiah? 
And the angel says to her, the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. The power of the Most High will come upon you. Therefore, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in her womb, therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Holy, set apart, not into sin, set apart to the glory of God, the Son of, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, sinless. And then what we need to tell people is, man, they need to trust in Jesus, the God-man, because we can be saved through his life, through his life. Jesus didn't show up and go right to the cross. So when we have time to talk about this, we shouldn't skip over his life either. He lived it. We should talk about it. It's huge. We're saved by the life of Jesus because it's by his life that Jesus. Remember that. Remember that righteousness that we were supposed to have that standard that God is going to judge us by, that we didn't live? Well, Jesus did live it. Jesus lived a righteous life. That means that everything he thought, everything he said, everything he did was morally good and perfect. That he kept the standard that flows from the nature and character of God. We can't do it. We lost it. We can't produce it. It'll be what we're judged by if we're judged on our own and we don't have it. We're guilty. We're sinful. Jesus lived a righteous life. That's huge. And then we're saved by the death of Christ. That Jesus did go to the cross. And that his death was a propitiation. Right? Does you all know the Bible says that? I've got, I've got time for a commercial. Don't, should I say don't? Yeah. Don't use Bibles that don't use words like justification, propitiation, sanctification, glorification. There's some translations that water those down. And you can't water those down with a couple of other words. Get the Bible, the, the literal translations that use propitiation, justification, and then you know what I'm going to ask you to do? Find out what they mean, right? Propitiation is one of my favorite words in the English language, and I'm not even sure I say it right. Propitiation. I think it's right. Is it good? Okay. Yeah. Propitiation, what does it mean? It means that when Jesus went to the cross, because I could say this to somebody, right? I could say Jesus is a substitutionary penal atonement where he is the propitiation for our sins so that we might be justified and in this life sanctified and one day glorified. Awesome. What, in the, what, what did I just say? Man, be able to explain to this something that Jesus as our substitute, he goes to the cross in our place so that he would experience the just wrath of God that we so richly deserve so that he could make propitiation. He could do what? He could satisfy. He could absorb the full wrath of God that I deserve. Not excuse me. Not say, well, you made mistakes. Not say, well, you know, you had this chemical imbalance and you were raised in this environment. No, you sinned and you deserve this wrath. But Jesus took it. He absorbed it and he satisfied it. It means he extinguished it. He took it all. He drank the cup of God's wrath. He drank it all, every drop, so that there's none left over for you. So that it could change God's disposition to you. God doesn't change in his character and his nature. But in the gospel, God changes his view of you. Because what happens is this. Jesus lives a righteous life that we didn't live and can't. We're sinful. So God makes this exchange. Jesus takes our sin, he comes in our place so that God the Father would look at Jesus on the cross through the lens of our sin and declare Jesus to be sinful. 
Second Corinthians chapter five, uh, verses something in the twenties says this for God made him who knew no sin to become sin for our sakes so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you see that man? Jesus takes our sin so that he could take our hell so that he could give us his righteousness so we could have his relationship with the father. That is the beauty of the gospel. What kind of love is that? What kind of love is that? That Jesus would make that exchange, takes our sin and then clothes us in his righteousness so that on the day of judgment, what will you and I be judged by? Works, deeds, but not our own. When I stand before God as my judge, he will call me righteous and holy because Jesus is righteous and holy. And he's given that to me because he declared Jesus to be a liar and an adulterer and a murderer and a homosexual and a child molester and a rapist. And on down the list, the father declared Jesus to be that one day on Calvary. And Jesus absorbed the wrath of God. So we could be saved by his life, by his death, and by his resurrection. Right? If you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And don't leave out the resurrection. Jesus rose again in victory over sin and death and hell. Tell him about the resurrection. That's our only hope. That's why we don't fear death. Death isn't the end. There is another life. And it's through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus that we have hope. So share that. Share the gospel. We get to tell people the gospel. We get to tell them how they can be saved. And then tell them, listen, Jesus is calling you to follow him. To follow him. You can't earn salvation. It's not by any good work so that we can't boast. It's by grace through faith that we trust in Jesus. That we, But we need to tell him, like, you need to repent. You need to cry out for forgiveness. Submit to Jesus. Trust in his life and his death and his resurrection. And follow him. Jesus didn't, at, and hear me clear, clear, clearly here. I'm not throwing off on the sinner's prayer. But we need to be careful. Jesus didn't say, repeat this prayer after me. And then you're good to go. Jesus said, follow me. Sinner's prayer is great. That's fine. If it involves repentance and trusting in Christ, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, awesome, do it. Don't leave out the follow. Don't leave them thinking that, oh, that magic prayer saved me. No, Jesus saved you, and now he commands you to follow him. To follow him, to obey him. That a Christian will obey. And we need to, we need to be up front. What did Jesus promise us in this life? Puppies, rainbows, three, three bedroom, two bath house, multiple vehicles made by Toyota. We all have our own dreams. Is that what he promised us? No. Tribulation, trials, persecution, suffering. People will hate you because they hated me. Tell people this up front. Prepare them. We're called to make disciples, not converts. And Jesus said, though, he also promised us a peace that surpasses understanding. That he'll never leave us, never forsake us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We have eternal love, hope, joy, peace in the face of trials, temptations, persecution and suffering. It's the whole gospel. 
We're calling people to repent, to trust in Jesus, and to follow Him. So what I encourage you guys with is, man, ask yourself the tough questions. It's going to take time. Go into a 30-minute, well, that's a lie, a 50-minute breakout. Go into a weekend event to learn how to share the gospel. Good, great. It's a good start. It's helpful. I still, man, I read books on evangelism. I go to conferences on it, listen to sermons on it. I need to. Just never, never arrive at this. But it's going to take you doing the hard work, memorizing scripture, thinking through the whole gospel, and then praying about opportunities to share the gospel, which if you speak English and you live in America, there's oppor- the opportunities abound, my friend, right? Like they're all around you. So pray, maybe more than praying for the opportunity, pray for the strength to do it, the courage to do it. We just need to tell people, if all you know right now is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, great, share it. If all you know is that I used to be this and now I'm this because Jesus saved me, great, share it, tell people. But we all need to be studying, meditating on Scripture, memorizing Scripture so that we're prepared with the whole gospel, so we're free Whether we have a minute or three hours or two years, we can share the gospel with anybody. Awesome. Do you guys have any questions? I'd love to talk to you. Let me pray for us and uh, we'll get out of here. Lord, I love you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would find us faithful ambassadors, that we would be pleading with people to repent and to believe. God, that uh, we would handle your word correctly. God, give us a hunger for your word and, a, and, and the ability to understand it. I pray that we would have, the, I pray that I would have the ability to memorize it more and that we'd be disciplined, that we'd be faithful with the opportunities that you give us. We love you, Christ. Amen.